This episode is brought to you by Ariat. Ariat denim is high quality and heavy duty. Whether you're in the saddle or out on the town, it's how you feel in your jeans. Ariat denim is expertly constructed from the inside out, giving it a lived-in comfort that usually takes years of wear to achieve. Ariat denim, because fit matters. Central Station Podcast, where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Welcome back to the Central Station Podcast. Today I'm talking to Tanya Heeslip, and if her name sounds familiar, it's because she was our guest on episode 55. Raised on an isolated cattle station north of Alice Springs during the 1960s and 70s, Tanya learned about the outside world through Correspondence School and School of the Air. Tanya has published Alice to Prague, An Alice Girl, and Beyond Alice, which is her third memoir. In this episode, we discuss the book Beyond Alice, which takes place when at the age of 12 years old, Tanya was sent 1,600 kilometres away from her outback home to boarding school, a traumatic and life-changing experience. Not just for her, but her family also. Tanya's memoir is a humorous and inspiring story of strength, resilience, and the realities of an outback Australian life. And to be honest, it's hard to believe that some of what she lived through is a true story. Tanya, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Steph. It's wonderful to be here. Now, for our listeners that haven't had the pleasure of listening to episode 55, which is the first uh, episode that we did with you, can you give us a little bit of a background about who you are, where you're from, and why you're on our podcast? Oh, I'd love to. Um, I grew up here in Central Australia. My parents moved here uh, in the 60s, and so my life, my childhood was um, north of Alice, completely isolated, school of the air, correspondence school, um, a life with horses and cattle and my siblings and my family and the stockmen. And it was an incredible life of freedom and just that um, outback resilience that kids have to get when you're brought up to ride a horse and start mustering cattle as soon as, as you can. And um, I... Then went to boarding school when I was 12. That was the, um, you know, it was the only option really for bush kids back then. And then I went on to law. I became the first school of the year student to go to law school and graduate and then traveled the world and have practiced law and continued to travel ever since, which led me to write three books. And that all brought me back to Alice in the perfect circle. And so 
here I am having a lovely chat with you again. I know. So on our last chat, we spoke about your second book, An Alice Girl. Yeah, very good. Very good. There are so many Alices. There's Alice to Prague, then there's an Alice girl, and then there is just released Beyond Alice. Alice. So it's a little tricky. A little bit of a central theme there. Well, yeah. nobody should have any issues searching your book, Elise. They know <laughs> one of the keywords. <laughs> That's right. Alice brings Central Australia. Yes. So as people who have listened to your previous episode would know, you are like an absolute powerhouse and you've had the most adventure-filled life. You've just been everywhere, <laughs> done everything. You know, like you said, growing up in the stock camp. Um, so your parents came to that station in the 60s. It's still in your family today, which yeah. is incredible in and of itself. Yes. So that's almost 60 years that, yes. that station's been in your family. Yeah. You've kind of got the third generation there now. That's right. It's amazing. It's just um, so special because when I go home, it's still home. I walk back into my childhood and my childhood bedroom is still there. The, the stockyards are still there. The schoolroom is there. The school of the air two-way radio that I did my lessons on is still there. Everything about it just transports me back in time. And I feel so lucky. So, so lucky. And so for people who haven't had the, the pleasure of reading your first book, Alistair Prague, what is that about? Alistair Prague. And starts out with a visual shot, really, of me on a horse at 10 years of age, droving cattle and escaping the heat and the dust and the flies into my imagination of all, all the storybooks that I got from School of the Air, which involved overseas lands. And I just was determined as a child, I would go overseas and visit those lands. Now, it took me a long time to do that. But I finally got there when I was 28, so it did take a long time, and the Berlin Wall fell when I was in Europe. And I raced to Berlin and I got my bit of the wall from an East German soldier who hacked it out and um, he stood there in his hobnail boots with you know nowhere to go, no job to do. And I thought, right, I've got to come back here and practice some more law to earn money because I was broke and then I'm going back and I want to see what's over the wall. And that led me to Czechoslovakia, which became the Czech Republic and Prague. And it's a very long story as to how I got there. So you have to read the book if you haven't already, but it's a story of the adventures I had, you know, in a land that was just four years after communism, four years after the Berlin Wall fell in some respects, nothing had changed. It was, it was sort of, you know, captured in time. It was a time warp. And on the other hand, just these amazing people with this free spirit and beautiful Prague, which is just the most beautiful city in the world from my perspective. I, I love it even more than Paris. And everyone says Paris is, is the jewel, but certainly Prague's the jewel of the East. And so when I came back, I really wanted to write the stories of those people and their architecture and their history and their culture. And, of course, there was a love affair and a gorgeous man with blue eyes. And uh, that is how Alistair Prague arose, this story of those adventures interwoven with flashbacks to my childhood as to how I developed that dream to travel overseas and, you know, explore different places and ultimately become a different person Um in terms of my outlook on life and my understanding of life and my gratitude for life. I think it is the perfect balance of a book. When people think, oh, a book's come out and it's been written by somebody 
you know, from the rural industry or from rural areas of Australia, somebody who's grown up on a cattle station, we think it's all going to be those kind of yarns. Mm. And this book, while it does have that, it's got just enough to kind of satisfy our, you know, our desire for those stories because we all love them. But then you kind of introduce this whole other part of the world. And I think that's what's been how that book has become so popular is that, yeah, we've got these two different worlds so perfectly interwoven in that book. Yeah. And so the success of that first book led you to your second book, it which did. is what we spoke about in the last episode. But for people who haven't read it, give us a bit of an overview of that one too. Mm. Well, the second book's An Alice Girl, and that arose directly out of Alice to Prague because um, my publisher said, look, you think Central Europe is exotic, but for most Australians who live down on the coast in cities – um, Central Australia is just as exotic. Central Europe, Eastern Europe, Central Australia, you, you know, they, they're both very isolated same, places. Same, same, but different. Same, same, but different. And so she said, write about uh, Central Australia and growing up here. So that led to this second book and it's aged effectively zero to 12. It, it intertwines stories of how my parents got here. They really were pioneers of their time and my growing up years – um, living in the stock camp, um, just, you know, working cattle, working in the yards, just that freedom of, of a bush child and, and also loving the opportunity for the creative learning that I had through School of the Air. Uh, and I, I dedicate a lot of time in that book to the adventures we had on School of the Air and this amazing woman, Adelaide Mietzke, who dreamed up the idea, you know, back when women, you know, back in their six, she was 60. She was an educator and she came up with the idea that children in the bush should have an education, you know, through talking to somebody. And if you, if the Royal Flying Doctor Service could give medical advice to people on stations, why not give education to children? So I, I had the chance to write those stories, which was very exciting. And it ends when I'm age 12 and I'm riding my horse back after a long day and I'm thinking about boarding school, which is the next part of the journey. And I'm equal, equal mixture excitement and fear. Yeah, the trepidation must be mm. so present. So that's what we're going to chat about today is your third and most recent book, Beyond Alice, and that was released a couple of months ago this year. I can only imagine how tough it must be trying to release a book during COVID times. <laughs> Incredibly tough um, because I had all these launches planned around Australia and I love the chance to get out and talk to people about my books and share stories, hear other people's stories, and, of course, they were all cancelled. Uh, so it has been tough, but I've been so grateful for the chance nonetheless to get the book out, which is called Beyond Alice for obvious reasons, and it's set between age 12 and age 18. And it it starts – well, I won't give away the prologue, but it starts with a very, very homesick little girl already at boarding school wanting to come home and begging her mother to take her out and bring her back which of course can't happen, doesn't happen. There's no fairy tale ending because, you know, all bush kids had to go to boarding school. There was no other option for secondary school. And also it was considered the way to give children a broader education because what we lacked, of course, was social contact. We didn't have, um, classroom etiquette. I didn't know how to sit in a classroom. I didn't know I had to put up my hand to call the teacher. Um, I didn't know I had to rule up my exercise book with a margin and a ruler. You know, these really basic things um, about how 
how to coexist in a school. Um, I didn't know how to play sport or how to do art. In my first art class, I got thrown out because I, I couldn't keep my painting within the lines. I didn't know you were meant to. So there's a real reason for sending bush kids away. Um, and so that's why I, I couldn't leave. But the book is about those five years and the ups and downs you know, some really tough times, some real challenges interlaced with the excitement of coming home for outback holidays, back to the stock camp, camp drafts, race meetings, gym carners, and then also interwoven through it is the story of my mother's love and the the love that she poured into keeping me afloat at boarding school, even though I was, you know, 1,600 kilometres south and we only had letters and the occasional telegram to keep us in contact. I think what is so unique about this book, and not many other books are able to do it, is that it's something that the whole family can read. So whether you're a child in primary school or in high school at boarding school Mm. or not at boarding school or you're a parent who's got a child at boarding school Mm. or you've been to boarding school yourself or you perhaps are, you know, in your – 50s, 60s, 70s, and you went to boarding school yourself, Mm. it doesn't matter how old you are, this book can really be kind of shared around the whole family. Like it's one that it's kind of – I'm trying to think of anything else that is of the equivalent, and I suppose all that's coming to mind is Harry Potter because I just think that's (laughs) universal. and It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, how old you are, everybody loves Harry Potter. But this is sort of the same thing. Like you could buy and then you can pass it on to your mum to read and then pass it on to your granddaughter to read and Mm. or or grandson, sorry, not not just women obviously, but, you know, the whole family – it's got something for everyone and books often don't have that I think that's right um this well in fact on the front of Beyond Alice uh there's a quote um from Fiona O'Loughlin who read it I don't know if you know Fiona the comedian but she's ex-Alice friends um and a long-term friend of mine but she read the book and and she said it was the closest thing that she had read to Seven Little Australians since she was a child now Seven Little Australians you may not have read that Steph but that was huge in our Growing up, yeah, and that was perhaps our equivalent of Harry Potter in a way, crossed with maybe this book, children, um, uh, maybe also crossed with the sound of music, but you know, children who had a governess and then had to go away. At least one of them had to go to boarding school. Um, it covers that story from a parent's perspective. How does, how does a parent, how does a mother send their 12-year-old away for the first time ever from a place of complete isolation into the hands of strangers and how do they survive that and how do they make that work? Then how do the children manage and then how do those left behind manage? I I read this very poignant uh, story. I think it was in an ICPA magazine, might have been Petals, um, about the impact. So you think about the impact of the child, like how hard it is for the child going away and, and the skills they have to develop to survive, which are all good skills. But you don't think so much of the impact at home. And the story was that at the dinner table at night, there was one empty place and how the family had to come to terms with, you know, the loss of an, a member of the family. And bear in mind, this is the seventies, very small groups on cattle stations then and one person taken out um filled a void you know created a void so managing that and all the strategies we developed and how we made the holidays the best fun ever to compensate um are interwoven through it so i think all ages um hopefully will enjoy it some of the stories of boarding school that i've written about were really tough because it was it and and i don't 
sugarcoat it. But homesickness uh, is universal and it doesn't matter if you're going to boarding school or you're travelling overseas or you're leaving a city to go to another part of Australia for a new job. Homesickness is universal and so I think people, even people who've never been to boarding school will understand what it's like to lose that place that makes you feel safe and secure and how you flounder and then how you dig deep and find your resources to survive. And I do think growing up on a cattle station gives you great skills because, you know, you're a young kid, you're out in the stock camp for weeks on end. It's you and your siblings and the horses and the cattle and and you can't give up. And we were never, ever allowed to give up and it didn't matter how hot and, you know, stinking hot the day was. If we had cattle, you had to get them back to the dam to water there was no way you could bail out. You, there was nowhere to go. You were in the middle of nowhere. You had to get yourself, your horse, and those cattle back to water to survive. And I, I think cattle stations, any any rural life, gives kids an, an enormous advantage because you have to be resilient very young. You don't realise it's the same sort of coping skills when you go away, but actually it is. And the, the skills that kept me going – um, in fact, Alistair Prague, in, in my, my initial, um, few months in the Czech Republic, I was in a country town hidden from everywhere and incredibly homesick and lonely. And it was the same sort of grit that I remembered having to use to keep, make those last miles to the dam that got me through that sense of isolation. And the isolation at boarding school was unlike anything I'd experienced. So it actually is that same skill you don't realize it at the time but it's that I cannot give up I cannot give up that that keeps you going and then you come out the other end as it was for me with an astonishingly wonderful group of girls I call my brave bold band of boarders who to this day 46 years on we are all still incredibly dear friends and some of them helped me um, with the writing of the book with you know memories and cross-checking facts and for so one of the girls said, I'd wish we'd done this years ago. It would have saved me hundreds of dollars in therapy. <laughs> but you know, that, that connection we made was so strong. And to this day, we just have this fantastic group of friends where the friendship is so deep and it wouldn't have been made any other way. And of course, then I got this incredible education that gave me the opportunity to go to law school, to university and to create a life. So. Through the tough times came the um, slivers of gold. Without giving too much of the book away, because obviously we want people to go and read it, can you tell me a bit about your life at boarding school? You know, How old were you when you went to boarding school? Where did you go? How far was it from home? Mm. And what was it like? Mm. Well, that's, a, that's tw- a loaded question. but <laughs> I was 12 and a half and 1,600 miles south to Adelaide to a very Victorian-style girls-only Methodist boarding school. So when you say Victorian-style, what do you mean by that? By that I mean it might as well have been set back in the English Victorian era of Queen Victoria, turn of the last century, big old buildings, um, rules, bells, punishment, no fun, complete control, no laughing in the corridors, no running. It was all... Uh, set up to turn you into a lady. Uh, it was called Methodist Ladies College. It was all about religion and it was all about like a prison. T- 
taking away the individual spark and turning you into a compliant mass so that you didn't buck the system. Now, that was the boarding school part, not the school part. The school part was fabulous. That was all about helping you become an individual. But the boarding school was like a Victorian-style prison. So, yeah, no fun, rules, controls, big dormitories, um, clanging bell to get you up in the morning, rosters for shout, rosters for everything, bells for everything, rules for the dining room, um, and the punishments was were so petty and they were really designed to um to disempower you and to to, to impact your self-esteem. So if you were caught out of bed late at night, one of the girls in our first year was she was sent for three days solitary confinement to sick bay. She was allowed out for school, but that was it. Now she was 12 and a half sent to sick bay in solitary confinement on her own. That was all about teaching us all a lesson, injecting fear into us. Um, one girl had a dictionary that the kids got uh, hold of at homework and they underlined sex, you know, big oh red God. letters. I did that in primary school. <gasps> we oh. were all lined up. I don't know if you were, Steph, but we were all lined up by the headmistress and castigated and nobody owned up. So we were all gated. And gating meant that the one liberty you had, which was to maybe go out on the weekend with a prefect or a parent, if you had a parent, um, was taken from you. You, you couldn't leave the school grounds. Oh, so that closed the gates on you. Closed the gates. Oh. Mind you, the gates were locked anyway. You had to have permission to leave. If, if you went near the gates and, and walked through them, that was expulsion. It really was prison, so nobody, nobody dared. Uh, and it was, you know, the rules were fearsome and the homesickness in that kind of environment was rife. But what it did was it eventually made we girls bond and we became each other's second family to survive. It just feels like you are actually reciting things from a Harry Potter book. <laughs> I think it is it in the six, towards the end of the series, people who've read the books or watched the movies will know what I'm talking about when like, I don't know if Dumbledore's still alive or when Dumbledore dies, sorry, spoiler for anyone, but there's like this mean old lady from the Ministry of Magic oh, and yes. she comes and she becomes headmistress for a while. Yes. I can't remember her name, but oh, she was a dragon. She was evil. And when you were just talking about it being like, you know, you're just there to like no laughing in the hallways no, mm. and the punishments. Like mm. I myself didn't go to boarding school, um, but I have a lot of friends who did and I know from, you know, from your book to even kids, I uh, know friends that have got children in boarding school today, how much it's changed and obviously like this is back in the 70s this Mm. is very different times Mm. Uh, I'm sure there's still probably some similarities in boarding school but just punishment like and that you know solitary confinement that sounds like something I only hear about that when I listen to true crime podcasts yes literally for prisoners that are you know in prison Mm. I just I just can't quite get over that like oh imagine you know how many naughty kids, you know, could you imagine if some school there or some governess, you know, some kid on the station was <laughs> naughty and they're like, all right, you just go to that donga for three days. And yeah. Like who does that? Yeah, who who does that? Oh, God, when we were in third year, there was another girl out of bed at night and the, the boarding house mistress was enormous, absolutely enormous. And she came in and she dragged the girl out and she just um, squashed her. She sat down on top of this girl <laughs> with her enormous bolt and squashed her. And we were all screaming, Get off her, you'll kill her. And then we were all gated for being you know, impudent. So the whole process was about 
terrifying and demoralizing and streamlining behavior so that we all eventually became compliant like prisoners. That was the boarding school strategy and it was a long-held English strategy of English boarding schools that just got transported out to religious boarding schools here. I mean, all English boarding schools were religious. They were Catholic or Protestant. It was the same in Australia. Mine just happened to be of the Protestant variety, but it was no different. My my dear friend Lee Turner, who I did School of the Air with, was at a Catholic boarding school at the same time. You know, and the nuns behaved exactly the same way. She she tried so many times to escape. Um, it it you know you just think how could that how could that be? The one good thing about that. Um, this is perhaps diving off just for a tangent for a moment, is, was that it led to the real development of ICPA and the parents finally getting their voice and being able to stand up to boarding schools across Australia and saying enough and changing the way boarding schools are. So today, boarding schools, just can't you can't even begin to compare what they were back then um, to now. Homesickness, as I said, that, that's a, a human condition that exists no matter what. But, um, gosh, the circumstances in which you can be homesick are now very different to what they were. And, you know, those circumstances exacerbated it. I was homesick the whole time, this dull, sad, dark place inside me because boarding school is just this, like a prison we had to endure until we could get to the other side. Wow. And mm. like you said, yeah, homesickness is, is universal. And I know there'll still be kids in boarding school today that'll be homesick, but it's just a whole different world and a whole different time. First and foremost, hopefully no one in this day and age has been put mm. in solitary confinement <laughs> or sat on. That's a new one. <laughs> that is um, a new one. That is a and, new one. And they, if they're sad, they can ring up mum and dad. FaceTime. Yes. Yep. Skype, Zoom, um, you know, there are so many different ways you can keep in contact. So if, if you're FaceTiming, they can take the phone out and show you the potty calf and your horse and the stockyards and your whole family and the stockmen and your governess and you can say hello to them and hear their voices. I think one of the things that was so hard at boarding school was not hearing their voices. Mm. Yes, yeah, so you said you only had letters and a telegram. Mm. So. And telegrams were expensive and you only sent them in an emergency, um, which you'll discover in the prologue of the book when you read it. Uh, but otherwise it was a letter, letters once a week and we, you know, devoured those letters. I am absolutely convinced that if we'd had regular contact with our family and that was made normal and it was made acceptable, then my homesickness would never have been, um, as deep and dark and dire as it was. And my my siblings were the same, my sister and two brothers. You know, they struggled in exactly the same way. But if you can talk to your family every day and see them and hear them um, and they comfort you and say, come on, you're doing a great job and um, encourage you to keep going, then what a difference that could make. I almost wonder if things have gone kind of if the needle slipped completely the other way because you talk about this very restrictive controlling environment um, you know, no freedoms, you know, that sort of a place. And in recent, even just this year, I've um, spoke with a few people that have either come out of boarding school and they're in their late, late 20s now or 
know people in boarding school at the moment and some of the stories you hear about some of the big, fancy, very expensive schools mm. and the kids that have got access to drugs and yeah. drinking and it's almost like it's gone from one extreme to the other. I'm in no way, shape or form saying that that is what all boarding schools are like or that all <laughs> kids are doing that. But it's almost like we've gone from the one extreme of really controlling everyone mm. and everything they do and while there's still maybe it's just an illusion of control now but the stories you hear about um, someone was saying like there's this one – uh, well-known boarding school in Sydney and that like, you know, that by year 10, you'll have a degree in drinking and stuff. And I was like, what? Oh. I didn't even try alcohol until you're 12. And even then, like, <laughs> I was like, and I'm just a public school bogan. Um, but you know, the things that kids, so I, I don't know. It might, that must be probably honestly the eternal ongoing battle and line that boarding schools have to try and find is we're in charge of someone else's children and we need to keep them mm. safe and mm. whatnot. But then we don't want to do this Victorian. But, you know, how do you find that line of just controlling them just enough so they're not out doing drugs? And drugs? Yeah, well, that that's a really good point. One of the interesting things about writing this book was that it gave me some insight and actually compassion for and understanding of the boarding house mistresses who were put in control of us. So their job was to keep us safe and alive. Um, there was no pastoral care. They were not told to be kind to us or care for us but they were to keep us alive and safe, locked in, fed, put to bed um, and got up so we could go to school and then put back to bed again, made sure we did our homework. Now, you've got to ask yourself, most of the boarding house mistresses were, um, I hate to use this word, but what they called spinsters back then. So these poor So that's my ladies. next job, everyone. <laughs> I'll start looking at seek.com.au and uh, see if anyone knows of any openings, I'm ready to take it up. You're too young. You're way, way too young. The, the boarding house mistresses were late 50s, 60s um, upwards. So most of them had never married and didn't have children and they didn't have a family to go to um, or they were divorced or widowed. So you've got to ask yourself what would make – a woman leave her home to come to look after a bunch of unruly kids inside what was effectively a prison. You know, and so I, I actually garnered some real empathy. No, empathy is the wrong word, but perhaps sympathy and understanding of how hard it must have been for those women and how unhappy they must have been. I mean, seriously, how unhappy must you be that you think it's better to leave what home you have to go into an institution to look after teenage girls who who hate being there and hate you and that the life is about rules and so it's you against them, that you effectively become prison guards. So I thought their lives must have been pretty terrible. And I felt writing this book um, some sense of how terrible we were in return. Initially in the first and second year we were so scared and compliant um, we didn't we didn't know how to fight back. But by third and fourth year, some of the girls were really fighting back and we had girls that came in at third and fourth year and they hadn't been broken in. Like We were broken in. We were little fillies who were broken in in those first and second years um, to make compliant. But the girls who came in hadn't been. They'd been to state schools and they just thought it was a joke. So all of a sudden these mistresses had a lot of rebellious girls on their hands and I mean, I, I was too scared. I, I was the goody two shoes watching on terrified of the punishment because I'd been through the punishment. I didn't want that again, but the older girls, they didn't care. So for those mistresses, what a job. 
I'm getting a visual a as you're saying that of <laughs> when you're mustering a nice mob along and then someone brings in some scrub balls or mickeys, you know, something yes. that hasn't seen people for a few years, always evaded, and they come into the mob and next minute they're stirring up the whole mob yep. and then, yeah, it's your job. So I guess we're, we're us humans are essentially the headmistresses trying to keep the whole yep. group, but then you've got like the, the mickey or the scrub ball or whoever trying to stir everyone up and be like, let's make a break for it, let's run for that's it. That's right, so. that's exactly right. The the young stirry Mickey, the young stirry Heather that just comes in or, or escapes out and um that's what it was like. So I I I do think it was a very, very flawed system. I suspect they didn't know what else to do. It was based on English boarding schools, which had been around forever. And um there was enormous pride in the fact we were, you know, Methodist Ladies College and we had proper uniforms and hymns and all sorts of things to celebrate this and they probably didn't know how to be any different. If anybody listening is currently at boarding school or has recently been to boarding school or works at a boarding school, I'd love for you to get in touch so we can do a follow-up episode because as Tanya and I, we established before we started recording and we've, you know, noted a few times, this, you know, Tanya's experience in the 70s is very different to what yeah, I would hope is people's experience today. So I'd love to be able to do a comparison episode mm. to show how how far boarding schools have come and how much it's changed. Yes, um, yes. I'm just so glad I wasn't. At, I always when I was I never went to boarding school, but I always used to wish I could go to boarding school. Even oh, did you? even to the point oh, where there was like an ag college that I was trying to convince my parents to send me to in year ten because it was boarding school and you got your own horse there and they just yes. sold my horse. And I was like, please, I want to go to boarding school. I just thought it would be like one big sleepover. <laughs> and when I finally, even at university, I didn't board because I didn't live that far away. But when I did go to uni on the other side of the country, I got to live in like the dorms for a semester. Oh, and I yeah. thought that was my, that was my, and you know, go to the yeah. dining hall every night. And that was as close as I ever got to boarding school. And I loved it. But also thinking back to my childhood, I'm pretty glad that I, yeah, I guess, I but guess, you, you know, to, if you've got one, then you don't really know what the other one is. So your grass is always a bit greener, but everyone kind of gets through no matter what well, cards they, they've been dealt. Yeah, they, they do. Um, in writing the book, um, it also occurred to me, it's so unnatural to, Take a child at age 12 and a half and institutionalize them in what's effectively a prison. And that's what it was in the seventies. No more. Mm. But parents had no choice. And if you're out bush, you did it for the broader, better reasons, which meant that your child actually got a proper education and a chance to engage with the outside world and go on and live a life. So there were pros and cons with, with both. You look at schools now and as far as I can tell, boarding schools now are fabulous. They are the kind of boarding school you would have liked, um, to go to. Some of them do have animals. Can you imagine again, a bush child? And this is why I think it was particularly hard for us as bush kids. It wasn't just we were sent away from our family. We were sent away from the land, from our animals, for everything we connected with. And so we went into, you know, stone walls and concrete and, um, you know, barred gates, no animals and no land and no sky. So there are all those different elements of being a bush kid that m- meant the extremity, that the extreme difference between where we'd come from to where we were going exacerbated the homesickness. But now again, it's so different and boarding schools offer up so many fantastic opportunities and camps and um, the chance to go out and to engage with the outside world from, you know, from the word go. There, there are fabulous boarding schools there today. And of course, as we said, have a mobile phone now. You can, you can, you can't touch. That's the only difference. You can't hug. You can't stroke your horse, but you can hear and see and talk. 
what a difference today. Mm. Absolutely. And, and where I'm staying at the moment, Mount Reddick Station, all the girls there have gone to and are still attending um, NEGS, which I think is oh. New England Girls School. And they've got like a show jumping team and a, yes. they've even got a camp drafting team. Like, they've, oh. yeah, so you can even do camp drafting in high school these days. Like, it's, Whoa. they've got, I'm not sure actually what else they've got there aside from the equestrian. And I just know about the equestrian side of things, but you know, that there would be all other sorts of sports teams. And I know oh. a lot of these schools these days offer that, but I was like, how cool is that? You've got a camp draft like team. Yes. They, yeah, you know, so, so you, you still have that connection with home, um, yeah. or depending where you come from. And, but there's, yeah, they're definitely different these days and it's not, but in saying that, I guess it's nothing's still perfect. Um, you still have things that need to be, you know, like you said, homesickness is universal and yeah. being away from, and COVID has really thrown a spanner in the Absolutely. works. So right now some of the girls are back home because, you know, when you're not just boarding far away from home, but interstate, I know that was, you know, last year, especially, and this year, that created a lot of hurdles for people because most people, well, for WA, NT, um, and even SA would send their kids interstate to boarding school. You yes. know, like a lot of people would go to Queensland and New yes. South. And that's just created so many dramas with the lockdowns and being able to access your kids. And oh, Look, in that respect, that brings me back to ICPA. Everything seems to go away from and come back to ICPA. Which it's is just so- the best. Oh, Isolated Children's and Parents Association, which was begun in the late 60s, early 70s by by a group of people in New South Wales, rural New South Wales, um, who had their children going to a local, to a hostel some distance away so they could attend a local school. The hostel closed and all of a sudden these parents from stations had nowhere for their children to go. So they ended up being sent elsewhere um, and the parents lost any capacity to look after their children, make sure they're okay. So that then became a statewide and then national organisation, which today is so strong. They lobby government for better opportunities to get kids in and out of the bush. And during the COVID lockdown, ICPA took a leading role in making sure that they were lobbying the government to set up um, exemptions for kids so that they didn't have to be stuck in boarding school um, you know, rather than coming home or if they were caught somewhere, there'd be somewhere for them to go. They were actually looked after. So ICPA is um, a tremendous organisation and my mum was the inaugural NT president um, in the 70s, inspired by what I'd gone through at boarding school and her lack of capacity to look after me. Mm. It's a fantastic organisation. Your mum is a powerhouse and we're going to chat about her in just a moment. Um, speaking of ICPA, so we had, I think it was maybe episode 50 or 51, Sarah Cook, who's the current oh, NT president. Yes. And, you know, what, when we're talking about ICPA lobbying for things, it's not, nobody's asking for special treatment. We're asking for equitable treatment. Yes. So creating equity for kids in, and not equity as in like money. Um, you know, when people <laughs> say, how much equity have you got in your house? But, you know, <laughs> you know, not, not so much equal opportunity, but equitable. Opportunity. So there's a difference between equality and equity. And equity just means everyone's kind of getting the same opportunities. Mm. Um, well, before so just- ICPA, bush kids were ignored. You know, the, the education opportunities for bush kids were so low compared to if you lived in a city. And yeah, they've been trying to redress that imbalance over the decades. And again, people may think, oh, well, there's, there's just a small number of kids out in the bush and, you know, they're just bushies. They're probably going to go back to the bush. But as we've seen with you and so many others, I mean, first of all, it doesn't matter what you choose to do with your life, but the kids that have come out of school of the air or just rural Australia that are doctors, lawyers, mm. um, 
my gosh, I'm now I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, I don't want to just teachers, talk about dogs. Yeah, teachers, yeah, anything in life, you know, actors, singers, whatever, yeah. whatever, it doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't really predict what you may or may not be. While there certainly is, I suppose, um, like a bit more of a leaning if you come from rural areas that you may end up in a rural industry. Um, but it doesn't, it's not a predictor at all as to what you're going to do with your life. And so everybody deserves equal opportunities because you don't know. Maybe the person who's going to cure cancer is growing up on a cattle station right now. Exactly. But we've got to give them the opportunity to learn and have access to that education to be able to, for everybody to reach their potential. So thank goodness for ICPA. What an invaluable organization it is. And your mum. So I actually got to meet Mrs. Heaslip, the the, (laughs) the first Mrs. Heaslip very briefly at the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association Ladies Day earlier this year. Oh my God, she's the like most amazing. She's so stylish. Cause I was I like, know. I was talking, I was like, who is that lady? Like, you know, when somebody just walks in a room and they just look like yep. they just own it. And how, sorry, how old is your mum now? 82. Yeah, 82. She did not look 82. And she's no. just wearing this outfit like, like she'd come off the runway. She just looks so put together <laughs> and amazing. And also at the same time, I was like, I would not mess with you. Like, but like so delightful, but just everything. I don't know. It was just all the goals. Um, so, and I had oh, just me not managing my time, probably wanting to record an episode with your mum, but we're going to have to wait till mm. next year. Uh, because as, as people will learn in this book as well, your mum, this book isn't just about your experience at boarding school, but also, I suppose, hers as a mm. parent. And your mum actually didn't, you know, she's this, this whole experience instigated something pretty amazing that your mum went on to do. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, and yeah. What, yeah. So your mum is it Jan? Jan. Jan. Yes. yes. I was like, oh no, what if I say the wrong name? <laughs> Can't <laughs> no, edit that it's out. Jan. It's Jan. Jan. The yeah. I don't know, powerhouse. Yeah. The powerhouse. If well, listening, Jan. I love your wardrobe. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to tell it's her. A, it's I'll a shame this that afternoon. It's a shame that she's like half my size, like height <laughs> and width, because I wouldn't be able to fit into any of it. But she's so glamorous. Melissa, my sister, and I just gaze despairingly and think, "Where did we go so wrong? Oh, that yeah. genetic line just skipped us. Just effortless. That's the word. Effortless. You yep. know, like when you just see someone and like the clothes just hang on them nicely. Yeah, they just all. They just chuck on a scarf. I put on a scarf and I look bulky and like a hot mess. <laughs> Your mum puts on a scarf and she looks like she's just – she'd have like one of those being a convertible with a big pair of sunglasses. And yes. Just, just classic and stylish. Anyway, I'm going to stop fangirling over Jan because Jan probably – I don't even know if we actually met at Ladies Day or if someone just pointed her out and I was oogling her from afar. She's probably going to listen to this and be like, who is this strange lady? <laughs> she's going to be so excited. Yeah. I can't wait to tell oh. her. We should just do like a style guide with, with Jan. Oh, that is so anyway. She used to make all her clothes as well and our clothes and she looked like Audrey Hepburn when she was younger in these little outfits just as you described yes. in the convertible with the – she could have been stuff. in the Roman holiday. Oh, yes. <laughs> A movie with Gregory Peck. Such a Betty. Um, I think it was Gregory Peck. Anyhow, uh, she was very disempowered when I went to boarding school um, because back then parents handed over their children and therefore all their rights to the boarding school. The minute we went into that door and the door clicked behind us, parents lost their rights. Did parents uh, accompany you to boarding school back in those days and kind of like help you settle in or was it like you just got put on a train and sent down and – uh, it was a bit of both. I was really lucky. Mum came um, with me um, to we, – well, when I say settle me in, there was an afternoon tea and they were – I think the mum – dad was back here fighting bushfires, so we all went. My sister and two little brothers got the tram out to the boarding school with my little case – 
took it up to the dormitory, had a cup of tea in the dining room, and then the parents had to go. It was probably half an hour. That was it. And um, Melissa, my sister, said that they caught the tram back to the city and mum sobbed the whole way and she's got these three little kids just staring at her in terror and horror. They've lost me and now their strength and rock is just collapsing before their eyes. And mum said she'll never forget that tra- She sobbed hysterically. And that was it. You know, she had no more rights. And um, as you'll read in the book, I had a really tough first year because one of the things of having no social skills is you have no um, instincts to manage um, bullies. You have no instincts to manage sort of social situations, so you're easy prey. And I was very easy prey, uh, and I, I write about one of the incidents. And so I wrote to mum because I had no other way of contacting her and, you know, begging for help. So she thought, right, I'm going to ring the headmistress. I don't know what else to do. And she had to wait three hours. She came into town to a friend's house because we didn't have a phone to try to ring the headmistress who made her wait for three hours and would not take her call. The receptionist, the secretary, kept saying, I'm sorry, Mrs. Heaslip, the headmistress does not talk to parents. And mum just kept begging and begging. Anyhow, three hours later, that that was it. And the cost to make an STD call from Alice Springs to Adelaide back then was enormous. It was very, very traumatic. Um, so mum could not help me and she knew the headmistress couldn't. And that fire burnt in her belly. And so when she realised she couldn't help us, she thought the next best thing she could do is help other kids. And there was a hostel in town called St Phillips and she was a group of people, but she led the way. She galvanised the action, decided she was going to turn that into a day school and a boarding school here of an equivalent standard to um, a similar school in the cities so that bush children would have a choice so that they could get the same level of education here and not be sent down south. So even if they had to leave the station, coming to Alice was a far cry from being sent 1,600 K's south to a freezing cold city that they didn't know. And she then also did it with a view to keeping local people in town because back then in the 70s and the 80s, once um, families who came up here had kids that reached secondary school, um, they all left and, and went south to cities for proper educations for their kids. So she wanted to maintain the town and she wanted to help bush kids. So she worked tirelessly. She was chairman of St Phillips for 20 years and she had an integral role in designing the boarding house and particularly the windows in the dormitories and um, like the, the play areas, big, huge windows looking out onto the rocks of, um, well, it's just next to Spencer Hill on the north side of Alice. So it's set in this beautiful rocky enclave, typical Alice Springs, McDonald Ranges, big blue sky through the window, red rocks outside. And she said, I did that so that when children came here, because of course they would be homesick because they're leaving home, but at least they could see the sky and the earth that they understood because, you know, as we said, for bush kids going away wasn't just leaving home, it was leaving the land and they didn't have their animals, they didn't have their family, but if they could see the same sky and see the same stars at night and see the same earth, that she thought would help with their homesickness. And so she drove that and 
God, St. Philip's now has got something like 800 students. It's her dream come true. She's a life governor. She goes to every event there still. She is so proud of it. It's, it's sort of the real love of her life, you know, in terms of her last work. Amazing. I know. And she, and, and she now has robes that she wears when she goes to the really? sessions. It's so exciting. Yeah. It's just so incredible. I, uh, so I only came to Alice for the first time late 2020, like around September. And I remember when I found out there was a boarding school in Alice and I was like, what? What do you, mm. you know? Cause when we think boarding school, we think, you know, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne. I heard, and then I re- even remember when I first heard of like some station kids going to boarding school in Adelaide. I was like, what? And then obviously Perth. And then, you know, you've got the big ones in, like Rockhampton and Toowoomba's like a big area mm. for boarding schools. Towers. Yeah. You know, so that some of these like bigger centers. But I just never thought Alice Springs and, and I remember being like, oh, like, aren't you supposed to go interstate to go to what, you know, <laughs> which is, I guess, more so for lack of choice or, mm. you know, capacity, um, you know, depending on what, what they're particularly chasing in that school. But to be like, oh, there's a boarding school in Alice Springs. That's so bizarre. <laughs> but to just learn the story of that today is mm. incredible that your mum spearheaded that oh. and to have the foresight to design the school so that these bush kids are coming, that their views were of the landscape that would be very similar to the stations they've come from. Yes. That is I, – I don't have words for that. Like That is well, so – I know. Inc- incredible just it doesn't capture it. Well, she knew from us that it was such a, a multi-component kind of homesickness that we suffered and a huge part of it was the land. Um the Adelaide, for example, in winter is a place that neither my siblings nor I can – we just – we can hardly bear it. If we go there in winter, we have to escape really quickly, like grey skies, freezing, rain. Now, that's normal winter skies for a southern city, but for bush kids who grew up in Central Australia, well, you know, we've talked about our winter here – um, it's blue skies and sunshine and jumpers in the morning. It's freezing, desert cold, but by, by lunchtime, you're running around in a t-shirt. So she, she just knew that that was one aspect of homesickness that she could address. You can't take away the rest, but, um, that was something she knew she could do something about. And oh my goodness, she, she found this incredible headmaster, um, who was very reluctant to come and, he, in fact, turned down um, her offer and she rang him back and said, Christopher, don't be ridiculous. I'm sending you and your family a ticket and you'll be on the next plane up. And basically she brooked no argument, got this amazing headmaster, Chris Tudor, who then was there for something like 30 years, and he and mum just designed all these different aspects um, of the school and they lobbied governments. They went all around Australia lobbying governments to um, – donate towards the building of of this these schools and chris was this young bloke with a family and he has family just amazing and all i think all his kids there are teachers at st phillips today it's just a wonderful story it's it yeah i'm kind of lost for words yeah did your how long was this after you well was this while you were still in boarding school or you'd been out like how long after are we talking when I was at boarding school, mum became interested in ICPA as a result of feeling so impotent and helpless here. And then she became the territory president. Uh, and then she started really thinking and looking. And I, by the end of the seventies, I'd finished. Um, and that, 
and my coming home, but my siblings were still there, were when she really started in her capacity as anti-present looking at options. So it was probably the early 80s she really started then um, working for St Philip's. I should agitating for the idea, and I should also say she was awarded an OAM for her services, the education of outback children, and she's so humble, so humble. Can't wait to have her on the podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna have to like put her in a dressing gown though, so I spend the whole time staring at her outfit. Um, I'm just thinking. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, I think it's a fair assumption to make that one of her biggest priorities in designing this school system or being a part of it is that parents had access to their children and that it wasn't the same experience that she had and that you had. Mm, Definitely, definitely such a different experience. The boarding schools actually had people in them who, like that was one of the um, um, criteria as well. (laughs) You must like children. You must like children. You must um, offer pastoral care. You must actually want to care for these children. So what is, sorry, pastoral care? Because when I hear the word pastoral, I think of the pastoral industry, I think of cows. And <laughs> So what what is pastoral care? That actually comes, it's an old church word actually, but um, it's about offering community care. So it's it's offering care and kindness to people in need. So, you know, back in the days of the church's pastoral care was like looking after the widows and looking after families in need and providing food and kindness and warmth. They were, you know, some of the good things that the churches did. So that um, expression has, you know, continued on. So, yeah, boarding house, and they called them now boarding house, house mothers. What a difference. Yeah, and, um, you know, people who actually liked kids and wanted to care for them. <laughs> So this book, I suppose we have really focused on how uh, challenging boarding school was for you in mm. this chat, and I, and I know that is a theme of the book, but I suppose what stood out to me is that at the end of the day you, you come through it and it kind of – it's not just a story of oh, I went to boarding school and had a hard time. It's No. This is what boarding school was like in the 70s. It's still got that, as we spoke about with your other book, Alistair Prague, we've weaved in – stories of, you know, the happy times and coming home and you mm. still, you know, this isn't just a book set in Adelaide. It's no. very much set on Bond Springs as well and in yep. Central Australia. You know, there's a lot of um of, of the book that talks about the events and, you know, school holidays and coming home. But what really it kind of comes to the forefront of the book is the is what you've learnt throughout those five years at boarding school mm. and how you developed the resilience and your attitude and I think, well, I think really just resilience kind of captures. I'm trying to think of more words. I'm like, why should I just list off adjectives <laughs> or characteristics when I can just stick with the resilience that kind of encompasses oh. everything? Um, which again is while this book is very much, you know, about your experience in the seventies, it's those lessons that are still very relevant for kids today, mm. which is why I've, I was saying before our chat that this is a book that we need to give to anyone who's either been to boarding school or is going to boarding school or is currently there because while it's like a different time, I mean, it's like you can read a Jane Austen book that is mm. set zillions of years ago but still very relevant life mm. lessons. Or, you know, Harry Potter set in a magical world, still learn some relevant life lessons. So mm. tell me a little bit about these um you know, your resilience and how that was developed and what and how that kind of, I suppose, applied to your life in boarding school and coming out of boarding school. Resilience, um, it's a it's a good word because, of course, at the time when you're in it, you don't realise that. You actually don't know that you're developing these qualities until you leave and you look back. In fact, so um, 
resilience. I think it would be useful just to read from just one line from my last chapter where I identify what I thought I took away from boarding school. I said, and I realised that boarding school had actually taught me useful skills for the world of life and law, resilience, independence, tolerance and care for my fellow human beings. And I really think boarding school did that because you don't, as I said, you don't know that you're developing these skills. And you, I'd never even heard of the word resilience when I was at school. I didn't even know what that meant. Perhaps that was something in a book that clever, you know, brave people um, displayed. But certainly independence, and I think this is a great thing that all bush kids get from being sent away. They become independent very young, very quickly. Now, in the bush, you're independent, but in a different way. You're also hugely dependent on your family and that small society structure. Whereas when you go away, you have to learn how to stand on your own two feet as a young person. And that sets you up for life, really. So it meant I could then travel and live all over Australia and all over the world, which is what I've done. Work in all different areas of law and take risks and jump in, you know, feet first into challenges, both in my career and in life and in love, sometimes for better or worse. But it means you're prepared to have a go. You're not scared standing on the edge thinking, I've never done this before. I don't know if I can do it. You think if I've been to boarding school, I can do anything. I, I can face anything. And, um, you, so, for example, some of the biggest risks I've taken in my life, like jumping uh, into the Czech Republic, not literally, obviously, I climbed off a plane, but on, on ordinary steps onto the tarmac, but jumping into a new life without much thought, but I wanted to see what was over that wall. Um, you, you, you don't, I didn't even stop to think about it. It didn't even seem scary. It's like, yep, this is my next adventure because I'd learned to be so independent. I knew I could rely on myself. Or even if I didn't even consciously think that, subconsciously, I thought, God, if you can endure boarding school, you can endure anything. Um, the other thing is tolerance. You have no choice when you're in a big group of girls. So there are 120 of us in the boarding house and they were my family for five years. They came from everywhere, every type of girl you could imagine. You have to develop tolerance. You have to learn how to get on with other people. You have to learn coping skills and society skills and you have to hone your instincts and understand what makes people work together and what doesn't. And I made a lot of mistakes because I'd come from a very small um you know, group on our station of horses and cattle and family and stockmen and a governess. That was it. So I learned tolerance and I learned gratitude about what other people can give you. And then the last thing was that care for my fellow human beings. You know, we really learned to care for each other. So I think that's now inbuilt in me. I, I, I have a, an antenna for anyone who's in need or who might be having a hard time or who might be bullied or, who might be struggling and that instinctive sense of I have to look out for my sister, literally, or brother, my fellow human being. And you can't imagine boarding school would actually teach you those skills. And when I left, I didn't have that awareness. But over time, I realised that that's what I took away that has given me the opportunity to live in so many different places, learn different languages, live in different societies, not always very successfully, but I'd have a go. And I was enriched for having a go. And even if at the time I thought I was failing miserably and sometimes broken hearts, you think, God, why did I do that? 
but you come away having learned amazing things and had incredible experiences. Now, I could never, ever have done that had I not gone to boarding school because I probably would have just grown up and married the bloke on the station next door, which would have been a perfectly lovely thing to do. But I was a very bookish child and it gave me opportunities to study and, you know, to practice law, to do some very good things with law and to live all over Australia and all over the world doing things I could never have imagined as a child, except from those storybooks where as a young girl on the back of the horse, I thought, I'm going to go and have adventures overseas, you know, which is what I ultimately did. So for all those reasons, boarding school uh, was a gift. It gave me those gifts. I can't help but my mind while I'm listening to you is just automatically pulling at other things that I've, you know, encountered in my life or, you know, things I've come across and making these associations. Like before when I was like, oh, it sounds like you're describing Harry Potter. Mm. Now this one is going to make people roll their eyes and I, I don't anticipate that you've watched it. <laughs> but um, because it seems to be a bit of a theme lately, like with Disney, that they're doing a lot of female leads and, you know, there's a lot of – there's not the Prince Charming coming in to rescue mm. the, the female leads anymore. Uh, and one movie that's come out in many years, which anybody with small children will know and shudder at the thing of, is the movie Frozen. Yeah. 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 You say you didn't. Yeah. I knew immediately. You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have to confess I haven't watched it, but I've heard about it from friends of mine who have um, little girls and I love the theme song. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was actually singing that with a toddler on a station just north of Tennant Creek the other day. We were in the car and pulled it out on my phone and just jammed out to it. Yeah. But I suppose like what what you're saying just saying and what that reminds me of the movie Frozen is that there's there is a happy ending, but it's not the happy ending that we're used to. Mm. So while this book does discuss, you know, the struggles, like the happy ending isn't oh and then I, I became it's it's not like that movie um Matilda. Is it Matilda that rolled yeah, down one where just, then, then I had a teacher that came and adopted me and the mean yeah. headmaster got sent away and happy ending. It was all great. But what is coming out of this and kind of like with Frozen is, you know, it's that at the end of the day, what, what the ending is, is that the woman or the person, I mean, because we've got men and women that go to boarding school mm. or boys and girls yeah. come out standing on their own two feet, mm. empowered, yeah. better for it. You know, mm. they've come through, they've taken away the good things. And that's why I think this book, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again a hundred times, you know, give it to your Nana to read because she'll probably, you know, just, or, or your grandpa, well, you know, you know yeah, 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 yeah. Anybody, you know, middle-aged that's probably been to boarding school or has a child in boarding school, but at the mm. same time, kids in boarding school or about they're about to go into boarding school, you know, yes, this book does really, you know, you're not hiding away from your challenges, but I think, and obviously, you know, as we said before, this is in the 70s. I, we don't want a child to read it today and think, oh, no, I might go to boarding school and be put in solitary confinement. <laughs> Correct. That's not going to happen. And that's not Correct. what you're kind of putting across in the book. It's like these are some hard things that I went through in my generation and look at the person it made me into. And I can't. I can only think how – valuable this book can be, you know, not just as a storybook and as an escape and as a form of entertainment, but as a resource for kids about to go into or are currently in boarding school to say, hey, you know, I'm having tough times too. Um, not saying it's better or worse or less or more, you know, just because you're not in solitary confinement these <laughs> days. Does I love that's the one example I can cling to. But, you know, just because somebody's not sitting on you, yeah, just because your house mother is not sitting on you as punishment yeah. doesn't mean that you're not 
you might still not have a hard time or have a bad day, mm. but to be able to see someone else's experiences and see how they've come through. And, and again, like you said, you didn't realize until you came out of boarding school and several years down the track, all the things you'd learned yes. and how it had shaped you. And I suppose this is kind of giving people or some students today a bit of a, a heads up and a, a bit of a foresight that, Hey, you may not recognize this, but this is probably what you are developing. And they may actually be able to tap into that earlier and be like, Hey, I actually am different than from when I first came here in year eight or God, it's year seven now. I think you can, well, you can, I know some kids have gone to boarding school in year six. I actually know of some kids that went to boarding school when they were six years old, mm. like, which is hectic. So, but I think that this will be a great book, you know, we're only in August now, but something to go under the Christmas tree or birthday presents. I honestly think every child that's going to boarding school or that is in boarding school should have a copy of this book. Because it's just, you know, it's like when, you know, you read something and you go, oh, that's, you know, we all love a book. I think a lot of us love these, like, you know, cattle station uh, rural books or whatever because we're, oh, we work on cattle stations and yeah. this, you know, we've read the, I don't know, whoever else has had a book growing up in the outback and we're like, oh, that's our, that's our world. We identify with that. You've got kids all across the country that are going to be identical, whether they come from rural areas or not going to boarding school, even if it's just from a farm or they, for some reason, they have to go to boarding school and they've got no agricultural connection. That experience, like you said, it's so universal and these life lessons, the experience of being homesick and being isolated from families, especially in this COVID day and age. Yes. And then the, the outcomes, you know, they're so, um, what's that word? transferable you know all, yes. all the outcomes you've got yeah. you know doesn't yeah. you know yeah the, the lessons that you've learned and the skills that you developed so that's going to be my little personal mission from now on is everyone copy of this book um if people <laughs> want to step. find the book where where can they find it where do they find more about you oh well um if you type into google tanya hesop author or even tanya hesop i think tanya hesop alice springs uh There'll be all sorts of sites that'll come up, but my website will come up. So tanyahesop.com.au. So easy to find. But beyond Alice and my other books and Alice Girl and Alice to Prague, you can get in any bookshop, uh, anywhere in Alice Springs. You can get it from, um, the news agency as well and the visitor information center, but in any, any state, anywhere you can get it in your local bookshop or they can order it in because it's published by Alan and Unwin. So any bookshop can order it. They'll get it there in a week. Or you can go on to Booktopia uh, and on my website there's a whole raft of places you can go to buy online, Book Depository. Um, oh, I love yeah. Book Depository. Oh, do you? Free, well, free shipping worldwide, yeah. guys. I, that's why I always buy all my books from there because usually they're getting shipped out of the UK or Russia or somewhere, but it's free shipping worldwide. So There you go. So, yeah, um, you can go to any of those places. If you just type in Tanya Heaslip Book Depository or Tanya Heaslip um, Booktopia, or, or any of those kind of sites, or the name of the book, Beyond Alice, that should um, – the one caveat, apparently after we got the book out, we discovered there's a little, um, I think, husband and wife band in Adelaide called Beyond Alice. Oh, really? <laughs> so I don't know if they're getting, you know, lots of hits and comments going, um, do you have a book as well? <laughs> we need them know. to get to write a song about yeah. your experiences. Well, yes. Um, when I have time, I'm actually going to contact them <laughs> and say, hey, um, love to hear some of your, your stuff. Oh. Yeah. So, um, people can find me, uh, anywhere and send me a message. You can send me a message through my website very easily or through Tanya Heaslip, um, author on Facebook or on Instagram. I love, love, love hearing from readers. I reply to Every single message I get, I often end up really good friends with people I've never met. Um, and 
may never meet, but we become great friends because we bond over these themes. And I've had so many people who've been to boarding school who've read it. I had this 82-year-old couple um, from Victoria and he was an ex-journalist and his wife had been to boarding school from age five and they both read it, they devoured it, they loved me and they wrote to me. And I was so touched and we had this lovely connection and I've got this gorgeous old man in a nursing home in Adelaide who's from a farm wasn't this book it was an Alice girl but he read that his daughter gave it to him and so he writes to me and I love it and I'll reply to everyone well you might have set yourself up for a challenge (laughs) and guys let's bombard her with letters and see if she can keep up replying (laughs) so in most of these long format uh, conversations that we have on the podcast, I always finish up asking, and I would have done, I think, in our last episode, asking, looking back on your story so far, what has been the major takeaway lesson? But I'd like to kind of amend that for this episode to your time in boarding school. Looking back at your time in boarding school, what what do you think was the major lesson that you learned? Excuse the pun because you were at school and we're talking about lessons. I think the major lesson I learned was the value of friendship. Because that brave, bold band of boarders, as I call them, those girls who 46 years on are still friends today, um, I mean, they represent something so precious. Everything comes and goes, but friendship is what sustains you. And um, a number of them, as I said, helped me with this book. I sent them chapters to read and they'd come back and cross out, no, you've got the date wrong there. And some of them had ideas and memories that I'd forgotten and we ended up um, sharing all these wonderful stories and memories. And I just thought, what a gift 46 years on. That's such a gift to have. So the precious value of, for me, it was the sisterhood, but it's not just that because when I left and I went to law school, uh, all the blokes who were there uh, like became the brotherhood for me. I just had this natural, um, sense of the value of friendship. And I have, I think today, you know, I value friendship so greatly. So boarding school gave me that because I was a very, very shy, isolated child before I went and I'd cling on to mum's skirts at the school of the year get together and I wouldn't talk to people, but boarding school gave me that chance to meet and learn how valuable friends are. Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations team focuses on North Australian production and business systems offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end agricultural industry, while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and or agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and they service some of the most remote areas in the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station, and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations, and we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au 
and we're also on Twitter at Central Station 6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.